This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. This episode is brought to you by GroCo Postnatal Rehabilitation. Let's be honest, when it comes to postpartum care, the majority of mothers are sent home with nothing more than a peri bottle and instructions to rest. And what is rest when you've just had a baby? Mothers are left to navigate their recovery entirely on their own without any insight into how pregnancy or labor and delivery will impact their health in the future. It's absolutely insane when you consider that the traditional healthcare system today provides better rehab protocols for sprained ankles than mothers after birth. This is why Dr. Ali Kane created GroCo. The online community features 50-plus workouts streaming 24-7, weekly live workouts, and monthly masterclasses. Right now, the program is 50% off for lifetime access, and for the Mom Room podcast listeners, you can save an additional 20% with the coupon code MOMROOM. Head on over to GrowCoRehab.com and sign up. How you heal now will affect the rest of your life. Check out the episode notes for additional details. All right, so today I am talking with Jennifer Halfin. She is a mother of three young children and a pediatric physiotherapist at Toronto Kids Physio. Uh, the Kids Physio Group started in 2006 in Vancouver and they opened up their Toronto location in 2019. Uh, Kids Physio Group sets the standard for pediatric physiotherapy and is renowned globally for making physio fun. Babies, kids, and teens function differently from adults, and their space and teams are equipped to provide the highest quality physiotherapy care in an engaging way. And so they provide custom programs based on each child's specific needs from birth to 18 years old. So first, Jennifer, I thought you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and why you got into children's physio specifically and also how the Toronto Kids Physio group or location came to be. Yes. So yeah, my name is Jen. I'm a pediatric physio. I've been um, in the field for about 10 years and sort of ever since I finished school, went straight into pediatric therapy. Working with kids is something I always wanted to do. Um, and when I entered into physiotherapy school and sort of just seeing the types of different um, physiotherapists that are out there, whether you work for a sports team or you work in a hospital, um, the pediatric setting was something that was super interesting to me because I could sort of put together um, my love of working with kids and also um, my love for you know, rehab sciences and physiotherapy. So went into physio school um, sort of only really focused in my pediatric uh, courses and placements. And then immediately after graduation, started working in a multidisciplinary pediatric practice. So um, in a clinic that had physio and OT and speech, um, but all for kids. Uh, and then so throughout the course of my history in working in the field, I've sort of done the multidisciplinary private practice, as I said. I've done the public sector, um, working at a rehab hospital. I've done the doctor's office thing, um, where I rented a little room out of a doctor's office and worked there. I also worked on my own, um, just out of my car, driving around to people's houses um, to provide pediatric physiotherapy services. And um, at some point, a couple of years ago, I was working with a colleague of mine 
um, who um, had just graduated. And we were talking about ways that we could make, you know, this journey for kids who have to go through physiotherapy um, that much better. And in our research and sort of looking around what's out there, um, we came across Kids Physio Group um, primarily through their Instagram um, and sort of saw this model that they made of just physio and just kids. And so obviously we had been working um, together at a multidisciplinary private practice, um, but this one was just physiotherapy and the level of um, professionalism, creativeness, um, sort of all of the different things that they would provide by being able to just specialize in one area for kids really brought it up sort of that next level. Um, And so fast forward through some back and forth with them and just getting to know them. Um, My partner and colleague um, who is a few years younger than I, who doesn't have any commitments or kids, went out there um, to BC and worked for them for a year. Um, And I said, okay, well, if you're only going there for a year, when you come back, like, let's, let's do this here. And let's see if they're willing to franchise. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were. And so I was just coming off of a one-year contract um, in the public sector. She was coming off of her one year there, and we worked with them to open up in Toronto. And I, I just think it's such an incredible brand to be able to bring here. Um, and it's also really nice to sort of be, you know, on our own starting this new business venture together as physiotherapists when, you know, business is not necessarily something that a physio is um, trained to do. Um, but then having this huge supportive team back in BC um, behind us sort of creating the systems and the processes that make our clinic run the way it runs and service the, the kids in the way that we do. So it's great. It's been great. I It is such a needed service. And I think, you know, we were talking earlier and you mentioned people, you know, sometimes they hear pediatric physiotherapy and it's like, well, what does that even yeah. mean? Like, why would a child go see a physiotherapist? So I thought maybe you could tell us you know, why people come to your clinic, like the different uh, reasons that you would see children um, and also kind of what a visit to your clinic would look like. Totally, totally. So um, pediatric physio, I mean, it is just that it's physiotherapy for anyone zero to 18. Um, I think the youngest kiddo that we've seen in our clinic was five weeks old um, and obviously up until 18 or a little bit thereafter, if our space is still appropriate for them. Um, But basically, If you think about physiotherapy, um, you know, we would see a child for any of the reasons that an adult would necessarily need physiotherapy for. So sprains, strains, um, you know, things like that that are typical. Um, But we do it in a kid-friendly environment. So um, when my colleague um, was a competitive gymnast and she went to physiotherapy as a child um, and she hated it. And it was like she was, you know, with a whole bunch of adults in a very busy practice. It wasn't fun and she never wanted to go back there. Um, so when you're looking at pediatric physiotherapy from a, um, you know, child athlete or even just like a regular kiddo who breaks their leg on the playground and needs some physio afterwards, um, we really pride ourselves in making it a fun environment um, for kids to come and really do all those things that they need to do to rehab through play. Um, but of course, another huge part of what we do um, is working with babies. Um, and so helping them to achieve their motor milestones um, and empowering parents in order to understand how to play with your baby in such a way that promotes their development. So a huge cohort of kiddos that we work with are kiddos who maybe don't love tummy time or are sitting when they necessarily um, would be expected to within the ranges or maybe aren't crawling or are a bum scooter or are delayed in their walking. Um, so we work with those kiddos as well. And whether 
um, they're a bit behind um, just because they're a bit behind and some kids are or because um, they have either a genetic condition or um, they have special needs for a wide variety of reasons. So um, cerebral palsy or um, an injury of one other, other sort. Um, so we see kiddos with documented diagnoses um, like those as well. Um, or even just your run of the mill, you know, let's say four year old kiddo who has trouble keeping up with his friends on the playground. So we see those kiddos too. So it's a really quite a wide, uh, wide variety um, in terms of babies, kids, teens, um, you know, whether they work, play on a sports team and have had a concussion, we'll see those kiddos too. Um, so really just anything that you would need physio for as an adult, but also for a kid, but also for those children who, um, may have some special needs as well. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like pot stickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double-action combination of prescription-strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner. I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. 
Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. And so I thought talking about motor milestones would be amazing because I don't even know how, mm-hmm. but this topic came up on my Instagram recently. And I, you know, just looking through my messages, I can see that parents are so concerned about milestones when it comes to their child. Yes. So I have a an episode about, you know, speech development. So that's like a whole other thing. But when it comes to motor milestones, and I can relate to this topic because Milo was behind in everything. And I say behind only because, you know, I was really close with two of my friends who had children at the exact same time as me. And he could not do what they were doing, like, throughout, you know, that first year. Like, he was slow to lift his head. He was slow to sit up. He was slow Mm. to crawl. He was slow to walk. Um, But I never really paid much, you know, I didn't compare too much and I didn't stress about it. But I know a lot of parents do because I I think they see, you know, like a statistic online or, you know, a, a specific age that your child should be doing this by this age. And that's not always the case. And I know it's better to look at it as a range, you know, like kids will lift their head between this and that. So I thought we could talk a little bit about, you know, those very common motor milestones and the range. The ranges for sure. And I think that's the biggest thing that we try and drive home to parents too. Um, You know, I'm a mom myself. I've got three kids. Um, they are currently six, four, um, and 14 months. Um, so I definitely, um, have the perspective of a a physio, um, and can talk through the milestones like that, but also, uh, you know, my mom comes on sometimes and in terms of having that experience of all, um, you know, the, the mom groups and, and, and chatting about milestones when it comes to, um, comparing (laughs) your kiddos with others, um, you know, Spoiler alert, my oldest son only belly crawled and he never did the classic, you know, four point hands and knees. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're the child of a pediatric physiotherapist and you're not crawling on your hands and knees. Um, so I've been through, been sort of through it all. But um, basically, it's a large part of, of what we do. And it's one of my favorite treatment sessions to do, to be honest, because um, I think there's so much value in empowering parents to play with their babies in a way that is fun and also helps promote their development and maybe takes a bit of that stress off of spending your evenings on Google looking and saying, okay, like my baby's not doing this or not doing that. Or like I went to music class and I saw that, you know, Jane's baby was already sitting and my baby was born two days before Jane's baby. So should my baby be sitting? Let me go home and Google that. Like, oh my gosh. So, um, you know, my, uh, one of the things that I, that I love about this clinic and what we do is that, you know, I, will encourage a parent if they come across our way to say like, you know what, the same way you you go to your doctor for your two, four, six, eight, you know, well baby visits, you can also come to a pediatric physiotherapist for the same sort of like monthly or bi-monthly visits to like, let's talk about play. Let's talk about how should you, your baby be moving? Um, What are things that we like are looking forward to seeing so that we sort of, you know, get ahead of that game and we, we don't fall into those traps of, um, of comparison because they can be super stressful. So um, 
the first sort of place where we often see babies, especially because we do get a lot of babies who come in with flatter heads um, from spending too much time on their backs is tummy time. So tummy time and making tummy time easier um, for babies is a huge part of what we do. Um, and I would say in terms of um, milestones and looking for sort of that head lifting that sort of happens. Um, I mean, there's a huge range of normal, of course, when it comes to everything. Um, but usually about, you know, zero to two months, we really want to start to see that head control coming up, lifting their head up, starting to look left and right. Um, and a large reason why tummy time is super hard for babies that people don't necessarily appreciate is gravity is super heavy. So uh, like we don't feel it day to day, um, but you spend nine months floating around in a pool and then all of a sudden you're like, hey, here's this super big force that then your new world is going to be putting on you. And so lifting your head and your body against gravity is tough work for a baby. So um, mm -hmm. we'll go through and we'll coach parents on how to make that experience easier because a lot of times, you know, how many times have you heard someone say, my baby hates tubby time, um, so I'm just not going to do it or maybe. That's me. It. Yeah. Like, I... right? It's hard. Full disclosure, I struggled with tummy time because he was born small. I think he was he was six pounds when he was born. So he was like this little tiny little thing. And I would put him on his belly and he would be like face down, like beet red face, like straining and stressing. And I was like, oh, my God, like I felt bad yeah. putting him on his tummy. So like we did it. I did it, obviously, but I didn't. I probably didn't do it nearly as much as I should have done. And something that I found that helped was I have like one of the yoga bolster yes. pillows. Oh, that's my favorite. So I would lay him, yeah, I would lay him on that so that he wasn't like, you know, face down into the floor, but he was kind of propped up, mm -hmm. which kind of calmed my stress. But I can I can totally understand why parents don't love tummy time sometimes. Yeah, no, and that, honestly, you hit the nail on the head because that's exactly a lot of what we do um, is helping with that angle against gravity, which is exactly what you're doing with that yoga bolstered. And so it's the same principle. Um, you know, they sell those tummy time pillows. Um, you could do it with a breastfeeding pillow. You could do it with yoga bolster. Um, you can even do it on a yoga ball is one of my other favorite um, ways to do it. But anything that sort of props baby up at like a 45 degree angle or um, more like against gravity, um, you know, will help to decrease that force vector, you know, going back to whatever physics, um, you know, we learned back in high school. But yeah, if you increase that angle against gravity, you're going to make it easier. Um, and why not make it easier? We don't go to the gym and start doing push-ups on our feet and hands the first time you ever go to the gym, right? You'll do it on your knees or yeah. like even better, you'll do it against the wall. Um, so let's afford babies <laughs> the same compensation. And then the, in that same vein, um, I think a large part of what we underestimate, and it's just hard to do, and I know you've talked about before, is entertaining them. Um, so whether they're toddlers or babies, they need entertainment. And as adults, that's sometimes a hard thing for us to do because um, how do you entertain someone who maybe can't really see more than a foot in front of their face um, at this stage? But the same way that you and I would go to the gym and put in a podcast or put in music or talk to a friend or watch TV, they need that same distraction. This is hard work for them. It's a workout. So mm. the combination of making sure that they have, um, you know, the uh, appropriate support and decreasing that angle against gravity, um, making sure their shoulders and arms are in the right position, and then making sure they've got the proper stimulation um, in terms of engagement of their environment, um, combining all that together to make it something that where you're not just putting your baby there going, oh my God, they're red in the face. They're having a hard time. Maybe I should just stop this. Um, and 
you know, instead giving the parents the tools and saying, hey, here's a way that we can make it easier. Um, because, you know, you go to your doctor's office for those well baby visits that you have, and they don't have time to sit with you. I know, you know, God bless doctors, they've got a lot of stuff on their plates and things to do and other things to get through, um, which is where, you know, we're more than happy to come in and say, hey, I'll spend 45 minutes with you teaching you how to do these things with your baby so that when you go home to do it, it's not another thing on your plate that's overwhelming um, because it's hard. Yeah, it was the same with speech, I found, because like he was behind on speech and it was like, you know, a doctor, sure, that they, they can check the boxes and say, oh, he's a little bit behind. But until I spoke with my friend who's a speech language pathologist and then she kind of taught me how to interact with Milo to you know, engage him and to like boost his language, then I started to see changes. And it's the same thing with motor development. Yeah. They, like the doctor can tell you that, oh, he, they're a little bit behind or whatever it is, or they should be reaching this milestone, you know, soon. But a physio is someone that can kind of guide you and help you do things at home, which is so, this is where I think, you know, you, we have to go see the doctor. So we all go and then we find out, Mm -hmm. oh, they're behind or, you know, we know the milestones, but then it's like, we need the professionals in the different areas to help us, you know, teach us what to do. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and oftentimes I find we see this, um, especially in our field with the babies that, that come into our office who have head shape concerns. So, um, the back to sleep campaign, um, which is obviously we put our babies on, on their backs to sleep, which is created, you know, um, back in the 90s, is the gold standard for sleep. Great. All doctors recommend it. But the second part of that slogan that was kind of dropped off that nobody knows about, it was back to sleep, but prone to play. <laughs> Not as catchy. Um, but <laughs> prone being the fancy word for tummy time. Um, and so it's very easy for a doctor to say, okay, yeah, put your baby on their back to sleep. And then they come back in for their two month visit and their head is, you know, flat off to one side or flat straight across the back. And the doctor's like, well, have you been doing tummy time? Like, well, did you tell me to start tummy time? Did you tell me how to do tummy time? Or yeah, I did it, but my baby hates it. And so there's that piece that's missing. And then we get them down, you know, those two, three months, four months in when they've gone to those well baby visits and the doctors go, my my doctor says my baby's head is flat. Yeah. But we're, you know, so we we sort of get that tail end of it. Um, but it would be awesome to sort of um, empower the doctors too to even say, okay, well, you see your baby, you see a, you know, a newborn. Let's here's a handout for them, or here tell the parents to call us if they're having a hard time. Um, motherhood and parenthood, I should say, overall is is hard enough as it is. So let's try and make any aspect of it that we can easier. Yeah, and it's the same with like. I keep paralleling like to speech. It's the same kind Mm -hmm. of thing. It's my friend who's the speech language pathologist was saying, you know, oftentimes they see children when it's, you know, it could have been addressed so much earlier, but it's, it's, you don't find out until there's a problem, you know? And it's like, instead of Mm -hmm. doing like the prevention and seeing people right at the beginning, oftentimes it's like, you know, years or months down the road and then you're like well crap like I could have you know learned all this (laughs) stuff yeah Yeah. so yeah totally in our in our little outline here we had listed Mm -hmm. some common reasons why parents might bring their child to physio so I thought um you could talk a little bit about those and just in case you know people are listening and they're like oh like this is happening with my child and I can bring them to a physio for help like I think you know sometimes we don't realize yeah, yeah. absolutely 
Well, exactly. And so I think the first thing um, is these motor milestone assessments. So typically, if I'm starting off with like the little itty bitty babies that we see who come in at, you know, five, six, seven weeks, sometimes um, they're born with what's called torticollis. So torticollis is when we have a preference to look in one direction um, or have a head tilt to one side. Usually it's a combination of both. Um, often that's just because of the position that they were in utero. So if like, they're scrunched up in a little ball um, and if they've had their head tilted to one side for nine months, you know, you as an adult, if you had your head tilted to one side for nine months would, would have that um, issue as well. So it's a bit of a tilted head preference look to one direction, um, which we can either spot, you know, super early on um, from your doctor, if they can just feel the muscles of their neck, sometimes they can feel a little bump there, like a little knot. Um, or otherwise it manifests itself in sort of this plagiocephaly, which is the baby flathead. Um, when you have a preference to look to one side, it, your a baby's head will actually get flatter on that mm. side. The plates of the skull are super malleable up until 12 months, but obviously very sensitive in those first few months. And so if you've got a baby who prefers to look to one side, that subsequent side will get flat. Um, and it then it ends up being a challenge to get them to look the other direction too, because if they're sort of like a, if you imagine a deflated soccer ball, it's going to always want to stay to that yeah. side. So you've got muscles that you know, are already tight in one direction because they prefer to look there. Then you've got this head shape to work over. Um, so what we'll often see babies to treat them um, to help correct this head shape. And we do it through treating the neck and the torticollis with some stretching and strengthening exercises. Um, we work in conjunction with Cairo. So as well, so, if, you know, maybe seeing a Cairo, um, a lot of our clients um, will come in and say, yeah, I saw the Cairo for this. And now we're, we want to get some more strategies. So um, we'll, we'll work uh, on a team, but basically to um, stretch and strengthen those muscles and then teach the parents exercise to help increase the time spent off the back of the head um, or in a counter positioning position to help uh, adjust it. Um, and we also work with um, orthotists too. So sometimes you've seen those, if you've seen ever a little baby in a little baby helmet, um, those are to correct head shapes. And so um, it's very common. Um, it's something that there, there used to be sort of stigma around. And I think more and more people are, are realizing um, that it's, you know, super easy thing to treat. We have these, the power to do it um, either through traditional therapy methods. And if we can't, then we will employ sort of these uh, baby helmets, which can be super cute and designed <laughs> in really fun ways. Um, but um, the the challenges that come with that and the challenges with tummy time is uh, a large part of what we treat. And then as you know, the kiddos get older, working through them with, you know, acquiring their ability to roll, ability to sit, ability to crawl, um, a large component of kiddos that we see as well are kiddos who will not crawl. Mm. Um, and sometimes we often find that that stems from kids who didn't like tummy time. So if you don't like tummy time as a baby baby is what I like to say, but like that zero to four month, you know, five month range, if you really hated tummy time, and now I'm going to expect you at around, you know, seven to 10 months to start, you know, pushing up on hands and knees and, you know, shifting your weight side to side and moving forwards that's going to be a hard thing to do if you never liked putting weight through your hands and knees before. Um, so working through those milestones, um, and then progressing on to the late walkers. So again, I'm talking about all kiddos now who are otherwise typically developing and don't have, um, a diagnosis, um, of, um, anything else that might explain what's going on. Cause of course we work with those kiddos as well who come with documented diagnosis um, from birth um, or who are under investigation for other diagnosis, whether it be, like I was saying before, you know, cerebral palsy, a genetic disorder, um, 
autism spectrum, you know, we work with all those kiddos as well. But when it comes to a typically developing um, or toddler baby, we sort of carry them through these milestones that you're right, like if there is a delay for any reason, if they're, you know, not pulling up to standing or not wanting to explore cruising or walking, um, we'll see them too to help them develop the balance and the the stability that they need to get them to the next step. Um, I actually also often find around um, this time of year when like school starts or September, October and kiddos are entering daycare. And if you've gotten yourself into a daycare where they're like, okay, they can start, but they need to be walking. Uh, We see, we, we get a bunch of people that come in um, just who their babies are on the cusp of walking and they just need that extra push to get through um, to that next level so that they're more independent for daycare. So um, we actually get a couple of those as well. Um, And then going through childhood, um, typical things that we, that we will work with too are toe walkers. So um, it's very typical for a child to explore walking up on their toes, go up, go down, um, take a few steps on their toes, go down. But if walking on tiptoes becomes the majority of their day um, and it's difficult for them to come back down, that's definitely a type of kiddo that we'll see. Um, We see children who walk with their feet, you know, sort of facing in or facing out. So any sort of gait abnormalities um, is something that we'll see as we get more into the, into the kiddo years. Uh, and again, you know, um, any sort of breaks or strains or, you know, fell down, broke my arm and I need a couple exercises for that. We'll see those as well. Um, but another group of my favorite kiddos to work with, um, would be kiddos who are having trouble with their playground skills. So this is kind of stemming off of our motor milestones that we have as babies. Well, once we sort of get the, we've got the tummy time and then the sitting and the rolling and the crawling and the walking. And once kiddos start to walk, we kind of shut down our brains in terms of motor milestones. We don't really think about the next range of what comes next. Like when do kids jump and when do they hop and when can they stand on one foot? And then with that is like playground skills. Can they climb up um, on the ladder? Can they do the monkey bars? Can they go down the slide? Um, and so we'll see some kiddos as just as they're entering those, those school years, um, and they want to keep up with their friends in the playground, um, and working on those playground skills. Um, so we'll do that as well. And then, um, of course, as I mentioned before, anyone with a documented diagnosis, um, or even an undocumented diagnosis, um, who are going through the investigation process, if they have challenges with balance, stability, um, motor planning, just even generally knowing where their body is in space, um, which can be a huge factor for when we're, we're trying to um, work on, you know, tripping and falling and balance. We'll work with those kiddos as well. Um, and then we are also um, a concussion management certified clinic. So um, we will help work with hockey teams. Um, not these days because there's no hockey teams that are running, but hockey, baseball, basketball, you name the sport. Um, we are um, a complete concussion management which is a company, um, but we're, we're certified through them as a clinic. Um, and we either can treat um, kids post-concussion because a child post-concussion looks very different than an adult post-concussion. Um, and we're also certified to do baseline testing for these kiddos as well to make sure that they can have a safe return to sport. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year. And we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. 
We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. For the, okay, so for the motor milestones, um, I was wondering, do you have any clear cut, because I know people are going to want to know this, clear cut ranges. So just for the major ones, like lifting heads, sitting up, uh, crawling, walking. um, Yeah. Do you have clear cut ranges? I do. I do. And I will share them with you. However, my my big thing that I will say, um, as I stare at my presentation notes, because I also um, give presentations on this. Um, And my favorite part of this is the fact that next to each one of these ages, which I will share, is the word ish. (laughs) It says two months ish, three, four months ish. So everything is like around that time because the, 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 it is a range, but it's also about the progress. And so, you know, coming back to what you're saying, like, you know, the milestones, of course, but I actually, the most important thing for us is the inch stones. So um, the little progress within the skill that contributes to the development of the skill overall. So, um, so I'll go through it and give you sort of examples of what I mean in between. So, you know, around two months-ish, you know, we want to see that they've got that head control when they're on their tummy, that they're able to lift their head to about like 45 degrees, look to head side to side. Um, and then as we get into the three to four month range is when we typically see um, they're propping more on their elbows, they're extending up, they're lifting their head maybe to that 90 degrees side, um, and they start bringing toys to their mouth. And then um, a big one we get asked for is after tummy time, when you, should my baby be rolling? Um, so rolling, four to six months-ish, um, and that is back to tummy or tummy to back, um, and even from their side to their back. So often um, <laughs> you might hear from like a lot of people being like, oh my God, my baby rolled at like two weeks old. They're a genius. They rolled so much. Um, but it's really because and most often that role will be a role from being on their tummy to being on their back. Um, that's not necessarily a purposeful role. 
Um, that's usually I've lifted my head up super high. Great job. I've looked to the side and now the weight of my head has just carried my body <laughs> back onto my back. Um, so that's not necessarily a true rule. So the true, like the true, like intentional, I see something, I want something, I'm going to go get it type roll um, is usually from their back to their tummy. And that's four to six months ish. Um, also around that time is when we start to see some sitting happen. So sitting is sort of the next big one. Um, and, and sitting is a little bit of a hot topic one because I find, um, depending on your Google search or where you are in the world, um, everybody has sort of a different take on sitting. So we usually say independent sitting is for short periods is a four to six months ish starts at around four months with the sort of tripod sitting where their hands are propped in front. And then as you get closer to six months ish, um, they start lifting up their hands and being able to more freely play. Um, there are a lot of people out there, um, therapists, um, who will say, you know, you shouldn't be placing your baby in a seated position until they're getting into sitting on their own. Um, and I think that that's really difficult, especially in like North America, where we like go to baby classes or, you know, these times aside, but like we go to baby classes, we sit with our baby in our lap, we put our baby on the floor. Um, and so it's not really realistic. Um, and especially this is when we do actually see the body being physically capable of doing it. Um, and the ability to get from a lying down position into a sitting position is we typically don't see that until about seven to nine ish. Um, months because baby usually will be on their belly, they'll push up onto hands and knees, and then they'll walk themselves back um, with their hands into a sort of a sitting position. Um, and I think the reason why people say, you know, don't put your baby into sitting until they're able to do that, um, which doesn't really make sense because you should be sitting early, you should be able to sit earlier, and you're not going to be able to put yourself into it until later. Um, but it's because we don't want to do it, we don't want to put our baby in a position um, like sitting at the expense of a position like tummy time when there's still so many more muscles to develop at that stage. Um, so that's my little tangent on on sitting. Um, so you can definitely still do it. Just don't just make sure you're balancing it um, with with tummy time and and rolling time as well. Um, that's my little tangent about um, sitting skills. But it, it it is around you know that six ish month stage. And again, those little instones that we'll look for in between is, okay, is your baby on their belly? Are they able to push up onto extended arms? So, okay, now they're they're really good on their tummy, they're on their forearms, but are they able to lift their elbow just even a little bit? If they're able to lift their elbow just a little bit and starting to push onto their hand, that's to me is progress in tummy time. Even if they're, for example, not yet rolling or not yet sitting, I'm looking for that progress in the position. Or are they sitting, you know, in that tripod position with their hands down, but are they able to look up and look to the left and look to the right? Are they able to lift up one hand to reach for something and lift up the other hand? And so they're not necessarily sitting independently yet, but are they doing all those little markers in between um, that I would look for? And then um, the next sort of big one after sitting that we go into is crawling. So crawling is seven to nine, 10 ish months um, again. And we're looking for really a mode of locomotion. So crawling is classically defined as that like hands and knees position, reciprocal movement. Um, but like I said before, you know, I'll say that my son crawled, but and they'll say that he crawled at eight months. But if you ask to see a video, it was on his belly and it was a total army crawl. But it, it was still a crawl. <laughs> like, um, um, and I think that there are, don't get me wrong, tons of benefits to, you know, that classic crawl position. Um, but babies are also super energy efficient. Mm -hmm. So 
um, often we'll get parents in here and they'll say like, oh, they're just being lazy. They, they, they don't want to do it. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? They could be lazy or it's also freaking hard. Um, it's a tough skill to do. Um, and you know, at night when we go to sleep or when we nap, if you ever get to nap, our brains are not working on, you know, Mm -hmm. doing too many new connections and growing a whole new, you know, um, like grow, think about if a baby grows overnight, like in a year, you know, we don't grow like that in a year. So they're actually conserving a lot of energy because they're, they're going through so much, um, throughout their day that they, if they've found a way to get from point A to point B that works for them and is easy, why would they do something else? Um, and I think that's a really important point um, to stress to parents because they're like, you know, they're not being lazy. It's actually hard. And we're here to help make it easier for them, but also good for them that they found a way to get to what they want to do. Um, yeah, they're smart. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and, you know, I think when it comes to a baby who, let's say, bum scoots, um, to get to where they want to go, that can be a bit trickier. And we, and we do want to encourage correcting of those things because obviously, like I was saying, there are lots of benefits to the four point crawling. You get really good weight bearing through your arms, you get good chest strength, good core strength, good hip strengthening. Um, but you know, typically those babies that we see that bum scoot are the ones who hated tummy time, but then developed really good sitting. And they're like, well, why would I do something hard when I can do something easy? Um, and so, it's okay if your baby bum scoots because they've got their way to get from point A to point B. We'll work on all those other things like upper extremity weight bearing, core strength, and hip strength through other activities. And eventually at some point they will crawl. And it's important. I don't think parents think about, you know, just listening to you talk there. I don't think parents think about what the child is gaining from doing these things Mm. like these movements like like you were saying the crawling and like the muscle development in the arms and all that like I honestly think most parents are just like well kids need to learn to crawl and you know my kid is delayed or you know oh look they're crawling but like what is crawling doing for them outside of just getting them from point a to point b like it's interesting to think about the actual muscle development and strengthening um like that aspect of it which I don't think people think about yeah no and it's and it's and that's again like people think like what is what's physio for babies and they're like yeah like babies have muscles too um and it's it's a huge eye-opener especially when it comes to development and learning like you know there was a study I forget um I know you love studies so I could find it for you um but that did um come across that one of the challenges for kiddos who have trouble with their handwriting and with their fine motor skills, um, they did a retrospective study and found the most kiddos who had trouble with that or had poor handwriting were actually ones that bum scooted or army crawled because they didn't get that upper extremity full weight bearing through their shoulders and open spread hands hmm. on the ground. Um, and so we, as you know, specialists in the field, will look and say, okay, well, what are the like? We want you to have you know strong hands. We want you to have good. Um, handwriting or like, you know, support your fine motor development. So if you're not going to four point crawl, what is a way like, fine, go for it. Bum scoot. I'm still going to encourage you to four point crawl. But then at the same time, I'm going to say, okay, well maybe I'll do some wheelbarrow walking with you, or maybe we'll do some Superman flying and practice landing with our hands and pushing out and extending um, so that I'm still achieving the same things that I would have otherwise gotten through something like crawling and, um, to make sure that we're still activating those muscles appropriately. Um, but, you know, if you've got a baby, like you said, who 
smart, good for them. They figured out how to get up to what they want to want to do. And we see that a lot um, with, you know, sort of coming into the next milestone, which is pulling to stand and cruising and walking, which is, um, I would say pulling to stand is anywhere from, you know, nine, 10 to 12 months. And then cruising is anywhere from, you know, 10 to 13 months. And then walking is a huge range. It's anywhere from like nine to 18 months. And then ish, I'm just going to put big ish in capital letters over all that. Um, and so with walking being anywhere from nine to 18 months, if you've got a kiddo who's super speedy at cruising or, and can scale the walls and scale all the furniture, why would they let go of support when, you know, it's easier to have the support or, um, if they're super fast with a push toy, um, like one of those little walking toys, why would they let go of it? And also if they've been walking and like learning that, they've also learned their body strength in that position. So for example, if you've got one of those little walkers and your kid can fly on the walker, but you take them away from it and they're like, oh my God, what do I do? Well, if you think about your body position in a walker, you're sort of leaning forwards a little Mm -hmm. bit, right? Um, And so all of a sudden you sort of learn about where your body is in space and you learn about your center of gravity with your, you know, upper body pitched slightly forward to lean on that walker. I take that away from you and you're like, whoa, how do I center my upper body over my lower body? Um, and so we'll work on things like that, but again, it's a huge range. Um, and walking is definitely, I find the most competitive, um, milestone out there. Yeah, for sure. I hear, yeah, I hear from parents all the time about, you know, motor development milestones and it's, I always tell them like Milo was behind in everything and he's he's doing great. great. Like it's, it's not like there's the range, right. right? And it's so easy to compare other kids but because there's this massive range in when they reach all these things like you said like you know the baby that was born on the same day as your child might be an early walker and then yours is a late walker it's going to be a huge variability between when kids do things and the thing with ranges is that there are also outliers Right. And so like, I can say, I can say walking is, you know, nine to 18 months, um, which is a huge range. You can birth an entire other baby (laughs) in that time period. Um, Like, it's a huge range. But like, that's not to say that, like, you could still walk at 20 months, you could still walk at 20, you know, 21 months, I definitely think there's huge value for therapy at that at that stage, just to to help encourage them to um, be up on their feet. Um, for the other components, just for engaging with their peers who are probably up on their feet, or if they're at daycare and everybody else is standing up and walking around, you know, you want them to be able to play at the water table or whatever with the other kiddos. Um, but there's, they still exist and they're still outliers, and um, it's it's not a bad thing, <laughs> and it's not nothing to be, um, you know, I think it's it's nothing to be sort of ashamed by. But as parents, you know, we get into that into that game and that you know feeling bad, especially because. As parents, we want obviously what's best for our children. We're going to be nervous about every little thing from a paper cut, you know, to um, a motor delay. And so I think that also cycles back to a large part of what I love to do is just empowering parents to educate them on that. Like, you know, hearing you say like, oh, yeah, like I didn't think about like the muscles that a baby would need. I'm like, well, I like love that I was able to teach you that because now like, you know, you if you have, you know, a challenge with mile or something, it helps you like break it down a little bit more so you can feel like you're better equipped to support him, which then in turn as a mom makes you feel a million times better. Yeah. And when you were talking about the, um, like the handwriting study, it also made me think just because I've thought so much about speech, the same kind of thing happens. It's like 
when you have a delay or you don't do certain things at a really young age, it trickles into other things as they get older. So for speech, it can be things like, you know, self-esteem or social skills, um, things like that. So it's interesting that it kind of is the same thing when it comes to motor skills like handwriting or, you know, fine motor tasks. Mm. It's it's yeah. super interesting because I think, as you said, it's it's like we reach this milestone and even if it's late, we're just like, oh, okay, like they got it now. Everything's fine. But like it can actually delay other things moving forward. So if if a child is delayed in walking. Oh, and I want to tell people before I forget that her Instagram or like the clinic's Instagram account, I'm going to put in the episode notes and they have awesome videos for, you know, showing you how to um, engage with your child, like to kind of promote these motor skilled, uh, motor skills, I guess. Yeah. So definitely check those out. Well, I've sort of turned my daughter into an Instagram star. Um, you, you, you have Milo can be the TikTok star and Emily can be yeah. the, the, the Instagram story, the IGTV star, because, um, you know, she was, um, seven or eight months at the start of sort of lockdown. Um, and here I was with this new business saying, okay, well, I've had to let go of my staff. Um, it's just me and my partner now we're trying this virtual therapy how can I make sure that I stay one connected to like our community that we built up, but two still pro- feel like I'm providing value. Um, and she was in this great sort of developmental window where lots of things were going to start to happen. Um, so I just was like, Hey, let's just film what we're working on with you now these days. Um, and so, yeah, she's got, now she's 14 months. Um, my latest one that I just posted um, is my favorite therapy slogan, which is stability before mobility. Um, because people think that, you know, your baby just one day will pick up and walk, but you have to be able to stand independently before you can actually walk independently. Right. Um, because if you can't stand, you don't have that balance. So she does a little cute dance in it. It's fun. Um, but, um, yeah, you can definitely go check those out. And I'll, I'll often even say to my, my clients that I see, I'm like, you know what? I actually just filmed something on this. So head over to Instagram and check it out. Um, cause she's the perfect little, yeah, demo. it's so helpful. Yeah. You know what? I love that. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been, it's been fun. To, to film those with her I'm waiting for her now she's so we did the stability before mobility and I'm we've got a couple steps going so I feel like I feel like her fans are waiting for her <laughs> like <now>. eagerly waiting <laughs> she's got she's got fans yeah like oh I wonder when that when the Emily walk is gonna happen but all that to say so she's today she's actually 14 months today um and so again talking about ranges and milestones like nine to she's my latest walker so like I said I have three kids my two older boys um walked at 13 months and 12 months, um, respectively. And then she's my latest walker at 14 months. Hmm. Um, and that was, you know, late in air quotes, she's latest of the three of them. So again, every kid is different. Um, which is another huge thing that we talk about here about how, you know, you can have twins. I've got a mom that I work with who has twins and one is, you know, already walking one is not. So every child is different. Um, you know, talk about being born on the same day, like <laughs> that that's born on the same day. That's, that's the, the same everything. Yeah. And they're still so different. So, um, but yeah, so she's my, you know, she's the latest of the three. I don't know when she, um, she's going to walk, but I'm, you know, she's showing me all the inch stones and precursor skills that, that I need. So, um, would I, you know, love for her to walk because I'm like, oh my gosh, I, you know, can work with you at home all the time and you should be up on your way and I've given you on the skills, but she's going to do it in her own time. And 
she's also not, you know, she's showing me all, like I said, all the preschool skills that she needs and she'll do it at yeah, some point. Exactly. Um, so for older kids, like we talked a lot about young kids up to walking age, for kids that are a little bit older, and I, this is of interest to me because we take Milo to the playground a lot, you had on our outline here tips for playground safety. And to be honest, when I bring Milo to the park, I'm like, who designs these parks? Like, this is so dangerous. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and he wants yeah. to get going on all these things. And I'm a little bit like apprehensive about it. But so what are your, I'm super curious, like playground safety tips for kids? Yes. Yes. So this is, this is loaded. This is a, a good topic because often I find, um, you know, playground, I mean, again, COVID aside, uh, they're so, such a great place to explore our gross motor skills. Um, but as parents, especially, um, you know, with our first children, you know, seeing them go off and go, oh my God, like the, the, they could fall through that hole over there. They're going to yes. trip over that. And then, and then like that, the sort of, you know, I like, I'm not a helicopter parent, but like, I'm going to make sure they don't like, I, that they, that they, I'm going to go behind them on everything. And so it is such a hard balance to find in terms of giving them the freedom to explore, but also making sure they're safe. Um, and so the my biggest thing that I, I would recommend is we have to try and let them do some of the things in a supervised way. Um, so our cautiousness sometimes can reflect onto them. Um, and if they see that we're anxious or worried about um, something in the playground, we don't we just want to make sure that we're not um, projecting that onto them and having them be cautious and anxious about it because at the end of the day, that's the way that kids grow and learn and progress through these older stages as you know, two, three, four is by trial and error and is by attempting these things and by they learn through doing. Um, and so my tips for playground safety would be, yeah, get up on that playground structure if you can fit with them, but let them do it. Just guide them in a way um, where if they're going to, let's say, fall, you see a fall coming. If you can do sort of a quick analysis in your head is, can I fall with them? Can I help them to learn to put their hand out to protect? Um, can I you know, somehow, you know, make this as safe as possible that we're not, you know, having uh, to go to the hospital, but also that I'm not just catching them every single time they may fall. Because if you catch them every time they fall, they're not going to learn to put their hands out or their core muscles aren't going to learn to contract in the opposite direction to pull themselves back up if they lose their balance. So, um, you know, you can often find me up there on the playground structure with them trying to make sure that they're doing it um, in a safe way. But if I see that they might stumble, I might let them stumble um, because I want that actual motion of the feet stumbling one yeah. in front of the other so that they learn those, those, those movements. Um, we can, I even cycle that back to, you know, when I say I'm teaching a baby to learn to sit, if a baby's going to sit and lean over and they're going to fall over, you can maybe catch them right before they hit the ground. But in that split second, like before they're in that mid range, I want to see, is their hand coming out to put them to the ground? Are they starting to contract their tummy muscles to bring themselves back up? So catching them into the fall, but still letting those muscles have that experience. Um, so that's yeah. my number one tip for, for playground safety. Um, and then, then letting them also do the exploring. Um, and then even just starting small with like, if you've got a playground in your area that has 
wood chips, let them run through the wood chips. Then you go to the next one that has sand, let them run through the sand, uphill, downhill. Just exploring all the different surfaces that they're that are out there in these playgrounds is another great way to sort of practice all those little balance skills. Um, super good advice uh, that I think most parents listening, I know a lot have babies, but a lot have older kids as well. So I'm happy that we talked about playground stuff, especially yeah. now that they're like open and we can actually go to the playground. Yeah, that was a huge component for us. Actually, we had a lot of parents reach out to us um, over the course of the summer because um, their kid was they starting JK. But the and they're like, oh, you know, one of the things that we do recommend if your child is going into JK um, or junior kindergarten, or that, that, that four year old range, um, and there's a playground structure at the school. Well, the playground's closed, but I wanted to get them, yeah. you know, comfortable on it before school started. So before recess was like, they get used to it. How can I now replicate that um, at home? And so, you know, you can do a lot of the things like the playgrounds go out and explore them while well, we still can. Um, but um, definitely replicating things like that at home too, is a good way to sort of prepare your child for the playground so that you can feel safer when they're out there too. To end, I thought you can just tell people where they can find you, uh, where the clinic is and your Instagram and your website. And then uh, if they wanted to make an appointment at the clinic, how would they go about doing that? Totally. So we are Toronto Kids Physio um, on Instagram at Toronto Kids Physio, uh, Facebook Toronto Kids Physio. We've got a website kidsphysio.ca slash Toronto. Um, But if you are in the BC area, we actually also have um, five, five clinics out in BC. Um, so you can go to kidsphysio.ca and see the list of all the clinics. There are five in BC. We in Toronto are at the corner of Young and Lawrence. And actually, um, one of our friends out in Hamilton is opening up her practice um, in the next couple of weeks. Um, so there's that's the seventh location is going to be in Hamilton, and that's opening up um, mid-October. Um, but me specifically, um, nice. yeah, we're at uh, the corner of Young and Lawrence, um, right above the subway, right in midtown Toronto. Um, you can reach out to us over DM on um, Instagram. Um, you can send an email to Toronto at kidsphysio.ca. Um, or if you go to our website, we also do have online booking. So if you want to make an appointment, um, our contact information is on the website, but we also do have online booking as well. Um, and as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, something that we had done um, at the start of COVID is we've ventured into um, virtual therapy as well. So um, if you are outside the GTA and still want to come chat with us about um, motor milestones or visits your baby, we can, we are all registered physiotherapists in Ontario. Um, So we're happy to do a virtual session, um, whether it's COVID related because you don't want to come in, which is totally cool as well. Um, Or if you are, you know, it's not accessible for you to come to us, but you want to try a virtual session. Um, we do that. We do that too. I serviced, um, I had a client the other day from London. I was like, this is so cool that virtual is allowing me to like treat over in London. Um, so yeah, it's a great, it's a great way to have a broader reach, um, and, and get to know lots more families. Totally. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for Mm -hmm. talking with me today. This, this episode is going to be Mm -hmm. super popular because I get these kinds of questions all the time. So I'm happy that you were able to talk to us. Are you looking for a podcast that'll make you laugh? You came to the wrong place. That's not us. That's not us. (laughs) 
Well, it is. We are a husband and wife who chat about raw, real relationship yeah, topics. like sex. Like money. Like marriage and kids. But we're not afraid to talk about how your newborn baby probably isn't as cute as you think it is. If you're in need of entertainment while you're driving to work, because that sucks, we can join you in the suckage, kind of like being in your ear. Not physically. So if you want to laugh, come check us come out. Come check us out. Brought to you by the Laughing Couple Podcast. Ha, <laughs> ha,